Uh, we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 12. That's in the New Testament, the right-hand side of your Bible. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, big number 5, little number 12. Uh, and today we're going to consider the heart of the healer. The heart of the healer, Jesus. So listen along as I read from Luke 5, 12 through 26. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about Jesus spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before Jesus. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he was laying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We've seen incredible things today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for Jesus' help. Jesus, we just prayed, apart from your grace, there's no health in us. We just sang that those who trust in you today will find healing in your sacrifice. Would you help us to understand, and not only understand, but experience your healing today in body and in soul? We pray this for your glory and for our joy in you. Amen. So, there's praying, and then there's praying. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. My kids pray um, most days. They pray before a meal. They pray for a friend. Uh, they say, thank you, Jesus, for this donut, like this morning. Um, but then there came a time when they really prayed. All three of them, actually the whole family earlier, uh, this past fall, we all got the stomach bug. And one kid in particular just kept getting up throughout the night. And this kid, bent over the toilet, prayed this. Oh God, why aren't you helping me? I feel so sick. Help me, Jesus. 
It was pitiful and it was gross because as the kid is saying this, you know, stuff is coming out. But it was also beautiful because this child had prayed. But I hadn't seen this kid pray like this before. In that moment, my child wasn't worried about saying the right words to please daddy. My, my kid wasn't um, um, trying to impress their siblings. They were desperate to get healing. Maybe your desperate prayers have come over something far more serious uh, than the stomach bug. And in this passage, Jesus, he affirms our prayers, our desperate prayers for physical healing. And he, and he calls us to go further, to be desperate to find spiritual healing in him. Later in um, Luke, actually, if you have your Bibles open in verse 31, that Pastor Don's going to preach from next week, Jesus makes a comparison, a metaphor between sickness and sin. And we're going to just briefly touch on this. Uh, Luke 5:31. Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he makes a connection between sin and sickness. Actually, all throughout the Bible, uh, God gives us different word pictures to understand what sin is. I put it like this. Sickness means something is wrong with your body. Sin means something is wrong with your soul. All of us get sick. All of, ours, uh, all of us are sinners. And the beauty about Jesus is he's the answer for both. And we're going to see through this passage, Jesus the healer, that he can heal the body. That he's not really busy. He's unbusy in his own soul with his patience. And Jesus can heal the soul. And this is the good news I want us to hear this morning. And this is the heart of this message. Jesus heals the whole person. Jesus heals the whole person. Let's look first at Jesus, the healer of the body. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. So Jesus has just called some of his first disciples. He's going, ministering, and this guy, this leper, comes up to him. Now, leprosy, this word, is used to to describe various skin diseases. It could be kind of like a minor irritation, uh, like eczema or something like that, but it could also be a lethal disease. And the prescription for how to treat these skin diseases, these uh, leprosies, was laid out for the, the Jewish community in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And what the people would do is, if they had discoloration on their skin or an infection on their skin, they would go to the priest. So the priests were kind of like the pastors, but also the health inspectors. You know, they wore a couple hats. Um, and the priest would invite this person in, examine them, and then prescribe what they would have to do. And often that meant quarantine. Let's, let's pull up here Leviticus 13, 45 and, 40, uh, 45 and 46. This is the prescription for the Old Testament, for the Jews, um, on how to deal with serious cases. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose And he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. This man, as Luke says, is full of leprosy. 
Uh, Luke, he's a physician, he's a doctor, and he's the only gospel writer to say full of leprosy. He's attuned to this man's particular case. Uh, and likely, this guy is a helpless case and he's going to be quarantined for life. Quarantined for life. I think we kind of feel that. You know, we, we have a special appreciation for that after the few years we've had. Um, I've gotten COVID twice, once in the 10 to 12 day quarantine uh, period and once in the five day quarantine. And on day three, I start going batty. On day five, I'm questioning my existence, my worth, like what is life? Just sinking into depression, right? We don't know how long this man was quarantined, but it could have been months, years, decades. Uh, we, we may have missed a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or two. Uh, this man may have missed 20 Passovers with his Jewish family. Uh, if he was married, he was probably separated from his wife. If he had kids, separated from them. And on top of that, this man is called unclean. Notice that. He's not just called sick. He's called unclean because he can't be around the city. He can't be around common life. He's untouchable. And he would have to cover his mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, to give people a heads up that they would have to keep their space from him. He was not a safe person to be around with this leprosy. In verse 12, the end of it says this. He saw Jesus. He fell face down and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Uh, He throws away custom. He doesn't throw up his hand and say, unclean, unclean. He throws away custom because he's so desperate. He has nobody. And he goes to the feet of Jesus, bows down and says, I know that you could heal me. I've heard you've healed other people. Are Are you willing to heal me? Uh, there's, a, there's a sad detail in this passage. Uh, before this, earlier in the chapter and later in, the, in this passage today, uh, sick people had friends or family to carry them to Jesus. Right? We'll see in a little moment, this paralyzed man, he has friends who, who go to extreme measures to help him to get to Jesus. This leprous man comes alone, no one to care for him in the world, and he goes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and basically says, you're my only hope. If you're, if you're a friend with us this morning and um, you're feeling the pain of life, the sickness in your body, sickness in your soul, and you have nowhere to turn, uh, this is the starting place. Falling down before Jesus and saying, I know you're able. Can you please heal me? Can you please help me? And this is Jesus' response. Let's look at verse 13. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Did you catch that? Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus reached out his hand. Jesus, the clean He touches this leprous man, the unclean man, and he says, I'm willing. He's not only able, Jesus is willing to be made clean. And miraculously, this moment, this man in an instant is made clean. Jesus reverses the order because 
all throughout Israel's history, even in our day, if you have a sickness, whether it's respiratory that could be shared or from skin, if you touch someone, you give that disease to someone else. But what Jesus did is he touches this man. He takes his uncleanness. He takes his sickness on himself. And this was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4. Let's pull that up. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4. Jesus, this is prophesying about Jesus hundreds of years before he came on the scene. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. Jesus knows what sickness is. He was someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains and we are healed by his wounds. This is what Jesus did for that man. This is what Jesus does for us. On the cross, Jesus, the clean, the pure, the righteous, he reaches his arms out to all of humanity and he says, I will take your uncleanness. I will take your sickness. I will take your sin, all of your hateful words, violent acts, things left undone, things done that were wrong. I'm going to take that on myself so that I could give you true health now and forever in forgiveness and in a restored body in the future. And then he tells this man, he says, go to the temple. Remember, this was custom. He says, don't tell anyone, uh, but go to the temple and get restored into community. Because what he wanted for this man is uh, not only... Uh, for him to be clean, but him to be restored into community. So this man likely went to the temple. The priest inspected him and said, you have a clean bill of health. Let's offer a sacrifice of thanks to God and get back into there. So what Jesus was doing was not only healing this man, but uh, reintegrating him into community, to his family, to his synagogue community, to his friends. Imagine what that would have been like for this man, for however long he was separated from gentle human touch, from being close, closer than six feet to his friends, his family, maybe his wife and his kids. And this is also what Jesus does for us. He not only cleans us, but he brings us into a community of people who are sick, just like you, who Jesus is cleaning and making whole like himself. I want to step aside here for a moment and just talk about what do we do with a passage like this? A whole passage on miraculous healing. Because if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking some questions like, are miraculous healings for today? If so, how do we pursue them? On and on. Well, let's start putting some of the pieces together from the Gospel of Luke that we already saw. Okay, so Jesus healed a lot of people in his ministry. Okay, we saw that earlier in Luke 4.40. It says this. He laid hands on everyone who saw him that day. Everyone, and he healed them. Everyone. But Jesus didn't heal everyone in his ministry. We'll actually see in verses 15 and 16, he took basically a lunch break while the ER waiting room was like jam-packed. He heals a couple people, or he heals this man, and then he steps away. And he goes to a deserted place. We'll see why in a moment. So if Jesus healed miraculously in his day, he healed many people, but not everyone. Um, How should we think about healing today? Well, first, the Bible doesn't allow us to say uh, 
Miraculous healings were only for Jesus' day. Doesn't allow us to say that. Uh, No healing continues. We see healing through the book of Acts. We see in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, he says, the Holy Spirit gives out gifts of healings. In his goodness, he hands out healings to the sick in the church. Uh, And I'm sure we have personal examples of miraculous healings. I have one in in my immediate family. Um, But if we had open mic, uh, we might get some wild stories about uh, just showing up to the doctor's office and and that that tumor or something was just gone. It's not there on the x-ray. So we have examples of miraculous healings. Um, But we know that he doesn't heal everyone and we shouldn't. Just, just knowing that fact that Jesus doesn't heal everyone, uh, that shouldn't make us doubt his ability to heal. This leper has no doubt in his ability at all. And it shouldn't keep us from asking God to heal us in miraculous ways. But even as we do that, do that we need to be careful. We could get into trouble when we start thinking like this. Well, if you didn't get healed, that means you didn't have enough faith. The Bible doesn't really... Let us go that way either. Uh, We have examples of Job, uh, of Paul. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what his physical ailment was. Um, But he asked Jesus, he said, please take it away. Take it away. Take it away three times. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to take it away. Paul in that moment had faith. Um, But Jesus in his wisdom didn't take that away. So let's ask with faith. Um, And let's not pit means against miracles. So Luke, the guy who's writing this, he's a doctor, right? Um, And we have pretty strong evidence that Luke, the physician, helped Paul with some of his physical ailments throughout their journeys together as missionaries. Um, So as we look at miracles and say, yes, God uses miracles, we also say God uses means, like different treatments, medicines, Um, foods, different things like that. And both miracles and means have the same source. It's Jesus. Here's a a couple of things to help us think about healing as a church. And then we'll we'll move on. When Jesus heals you, either through a miracle or through means, don't forget to say thanks. I was so convicted by this. How many times has Jesus healed me? Whether through medicine or, or whatever, and and I forget to turn around and say thank you, thank you Jesus. Um, make make those mile markers when Jesus heals you or someone you love and celebrate that. Celebrate Jesus and His goodness. James, kind of more on the practical side, James asks us this question. He says, "Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church." And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And I just want to say, as a pastor and our pastoral team, we believe this is practice for today. So if any of you have a sickness that you want the elders to pray over, I'm going to scour through the cabinet, get some of those essential oils, whatever we got on hand. Uh, this could be either symbolic, like anointing in the Old Testament, or medicinal in that time, I'm not quite sure. But the elders will pray for you to be healed. And finally, as we think about healing, um, let's hope in heaven. 
God will choose to heal us sometimes. Uh, sometimes, often, he'll say no because he has other purposes. And yet, let's hope, even as we pray, as we long for physical healing, let's hope in heaven where there will be no sickness. Okay, so we've, we've taken a moment to look at bodily healing. Now we're going to look at the healer himself, Jesus. Let's look at verses 15 and 16, the unbusy healer. Verse 15 says this, But the news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus was super busy. He was human. He had parents, siblings. He worked hard as a carpenter. He went to synagogue. Uh, But Jesus is more busy than we'll ever be. And I find a lot of comfort in this. Because if you're like me, sometimes when you're sitting, listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning, you're thinking about Monday's to-do list. You're thinking about how crazy life is right now. And so I hope this this provides some hope. Jesus was super busy. He's more busy than you'll ever be. Once he started his ministry, he was teaching. He was healing. He was traveling. He was casting out demons. He was dealing with Pharisees and teachers of the law. He was leading his disciples. He had crowds following him. Let's be honest. This morning, I had a hard time keeping composure, feeding three little kids while they're all saying, I'm hungry, daddy. And Jesus fed more than 5,000 people in one sitting. And he was super cool about it. So Jesus is in high demand. And even in this passage, we see lepers falling before him. And and this group of friends, we'll see in a moment, bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they literally cut a hole in the ceiling while Jesus is teaching. That's nuts. Like I probably, I wouldn't keep my composure if someone blew a hole through the roof while I was preaching right now. I'd probably pause and just be like, what's going on? Um, But Jesus was busy and yet he kept his composure. He had an unbusy soul, as one pastor says. He was surrounded by crowds, and yet his mind wasn't filled, wasn't crowded with anxious thoughts. He was in high demand at all times, and yet each person he met with received his full attention. And you got to hear this. Maybe you think in the back of your mind, Jesus is too busy for me, but you have his full attention every time you speak to him. You never have to worry about Jesus doing that thing where you kind of you're talking to someone and they're looking over your shoulder. Guilty as charged. I do that. Or you never have to worry about Jesus like mid sentence, like pulling out his phone and texting. Jesus gives us his full attention. And the question is never, will Jesus be present with me? The question is always, will I be present to Jesus? So how did Jesus stay so unbusy on the inside? What allowed him to make each person he met with feel like the only person in the world? And we see this, the answer to that in verse 16. He often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. He often did this. In the midst of the busyness of life, he would step away. A couple of his favorite places were mountains. We got plenty of those. And deserts, we don't have any of those. But we have the forest. It's like equivalent. He'd get away and he'd spend time in prayer with his father. 
in my life, usually the busier, I, the busier I get, I feel like I can't afford to pray. I can't afford to have that time, whether it's in the morning or in the evening to pray. The busier Jesus got, it's almost as if he said, I can't afford not to pray. And that's my hope for us. No matter how busy your week is, that you feel the sense that I need God. I need to rest in his presence. I need to receive his love, his fatherly love that says, I love you as a child. Not because of anything you're going to do this week. And this is a model for us. We could pull up that quote from Elizabeth Prentice. I'm just learning about Elizabeth Prentice. I think she was a Mainer. Uh, she may have died in Vermont. But author, uh, dear Christian, teacher, all these things. She says this. The study of Christ's life on earth reveals him to us as incessantly busy, yet taking special seasons for prayer. It seems to me that we should imitate him in this respect. And when we find ourselves particularly pressed by outward cares and duties, break short off and withdraw from them till a spiritual tone returns. Here, we can do nothing well unless we do it, do it consciously for Christ. And so this is hope for the really busy person. If life just feels like it's spinning out of control, the thing you need most is to sit at the feet of your father, sit at the feet of Jesus. So we've seen the healer of the body and Jesus, the unhurried, the unbusy healer. Finally, let's look at Jesus, the healer of our souls. So verse 17 says he was teaching. Um, While he was doing that, some Pharisees, some teachers of the law, who were kind of concerned with preserving the purity of God's law. Uh, they were sitting there. They came from all over, and the Lord's power was with Jesus to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him, probably like the front door, side door, something, and they tried to set him before Jesus, but it was so crowded in there that they went up on the roof. Hear that. They went up on the roof and they lowered him down on a stretcher in the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So earlier we saw a desperate leper. Here we saw a desperate, um, a group of desperate friends. Uh, and, the, and the people in these two stories show what it means to be truly poor. It says earlier that Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. We talked in our community group, like, is that financially poor? Is that socially poor? All these things. Uh, it includes all of that. We'll see that in this book. But really, the poor that Jesus comes to preach to and to save are those who are desperate for his help. That's what it means to be poor before Jesus. And these friends, their love is amazing for their friend. They take him. I don't know how long it took to dig through a wall. They lower him down before Jesus they don't care about social conventions, right? They interrupt Jesus mid-teaching. That's how desperate they are for their friend to get help. And I think here we have a model for Christian friendship. We should follow these, these men and their, their love for their friend. True Christian friendship, whether you're a friend of non-Christians or Christians, is to bring our friends to the feet of Jesus. Um, and there's many ways this could take shape, but a couple, we could pull them up, are first, intercessory prayer. Just praying for other people. 
It's a, it's a pretty common occurrence if you're in church life or at your community group or after service, like, hey, can you pray for me? But I just want us to reframe how we think about that. When we pray for our friends, what we are doing, we are like the friends of the paralytic. We are bringing our friends to Jesus. We're lifting their needs to the King of Heaven. And so that is loving work to pray for your friends. We also bring our friends to Jesus uh, by sharing the gospel with them. And this could be for Christians or not Christians. So in prayer, we bring our friends to Jesus. In preaching the good news to them, we bring Jesus to our friends. And we connect our friend's suffering to his healing. Notice what Jesus did here. His response to them. He doesn't rebuke them for interrupting them. He's like, he doesn't say like, what are you doing? This is my buddy's house. Like I had a really good sermon point coming up here. Like save it. No, he honors their faith as a group. And he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. At this point, the crowds and the paralytic man are like, okay, that's nice. But like kind of want to walk. So why would Jesus say, friend, your sins are forgiven? Well, first, culturally in Jesus' day, people often equated um, a connection between sickness and sin. Many viewed sickness as a result of sin. That was kind of an overgeneralization. We know that's not always the case, right? Sometimes there could be a connection between them. Um, often there isn't. So, so why does Jesus focus on this man's sin first? I think he's doing it for a couple reasons. First, what he's telling that man, what he's telling that crowd is, I am after healing the whole person, body and soul. We can tend to minimize our own soul sickness and highlight body sickness. And so Jesus is saying, essentially, sin is more dangerous than sickness. And we probably know people who are physically broken, who are inwardly radiant and whole and happy. We probably know the opposite as well. People who are really healthy physically, but are just miserably miserable inside. And so Jesus is teaching us that physical health is a good in this life. My goodness, physical health is a blessing. But the ultimate good is life in restored relationship with God. That is the ultimate good. And that's what Jesus is highlighting here. Yes, this man is paralyzed, but the ultimate good is a restored relationship with God. And and part of the good news is, if you have a restored relationship with God through Jesus, uh, you get a full bill of health thrown in with that. Yes, he, he might heal you at points in your life, but he promises you in the new heavens and the new earth, a new body. That might be news to some of you, but... The church confesses that we will resurrect in new bodies, body and soul, in the new earth with Jesus. And so Jesus, he's kind of reading the room. He knows that the, what the Pharisees are thinking. And the Pharisees are kind of thinking, they know their Bibles. They're saying, well, teachers, priests don't really have the authority or the jurisdiction to forgive sins. Like, that's pretty blasphemous, Jesus. Um, and so Jesus, he's kind of doing some jujitsu with them, but he's saying like, well, which one's harder to say? Like your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And that's kind of a puzzling question. In one sense, saying 
your sins are forgiven is easier than saying, get up and walk, because saying, get up and walk is verifiable, right? So I could just say, stand up here and say, your sins are forgiven, and it's like, and? Like, how are we going to prove that? But if I went up to someone who, who is paralyzed and said, get up and walk, we'd all be waiting. Like, either it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. So what Jesus does is he says your sins are forgiven and then he brings in the healing to prove that he has authority over the body and over the soul. And so he tells this man, take up your mat and walk. And he shows that he has authority on earth to forgive sins and heal the soul. Jesus is the one we sin against. Jesus is the God of heaven, the son of God, and he has full right to forgive us our sins on earth. And this is good news because he's Lord over sickness and sin. And this story ends with wonder and worship. People are in awe at what Jesus taught, what he did, his power and authority to teach, to actually forgive sins, to heal And my hope for us as a church, my hope for me personally and my own walk with Jesus is that God would restore the sense of awe that Jesus can actually, is willing and able to heal in his wisdom, miraculously or through means, that Jesus actually forgives us our particular sins against him and he has authority to do that. I started talking about um, desperate prayer for physical healing and that example with my kid. This passage encourages that. If you have a physical ailment, lifelong, more temporary, bring that to Jesus and and desperately cry for his help to heal you. He's wise in knowing when to heal and when to not. And Jesus is calling us further. He's calling us to desperately pray for healing in our souls. I wonder when's the last time you prayed desperately for spiritual healing for your grumbling every single day at work or your incessant comparison or your escape to fantasy land every evening for your impatience, your anger, your road rage. When's the last time you took that soul sickness to him and said, Jesus, please forgive and heal me. This is the good news that we see in Jesus, that he really heals the whole person. So let's come to him this morning throughout this week with desperate faith.